Let's turn to Matthew 12. Maybe I'll just be a little more succinct this morning. Maybe, I said, notice. I'm trying. Matthew 12. We're going to be looking at verses 22 to 37. It's a long passage, but um, I'll just try to deal with the main points. But we will read it all so we get the context. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative word found in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 12, verse 22. Hear God's word to you this morning. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the mouth, of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you've ever heard that song. It's a catchy song. I'm a musician, so I like the music, but I can't stand the attitude. It's this one. Jesus is just all right with me. Yeah, I like the melody, I like the song, but the flip attitude toward my Lord, I can't stand. Because... If he's just all right with you, then you're not talking about the right Jesus. Some people will say things like, well, he was a good moral teacher. He taught, you know, moral lessons. He was a good teacher. 
people who say things like that simply betray the fact that they've never met the real Jesus. Certainly not the one who is set forth and brought out by Matthew the evangelist, the gospel writer. They certainly couldn't have read this gospel and taken, taken his words and his deeds recorded for us very seriously. No, the real living Jesus who acted, who spoke, and who related to people in real space and time on this planet, more often than not, either provoked two responses. Either he provoked extreme hatred, we see that in the gospel, or he provoked adoration and praise and reception. In the video series, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey says this, The Jesus I learned about as a child was sweet and inoffensive, the kind of person whose lap you'd want to climb up on. Mr. Rogers with a beard. I like that. Indeed, Jesus did have qualities of gentleness and compassion that attracted little children. Mr. Rogers, however, he assuredly was not. Not even the Romans would have crucified Mr. Rogers. (laughs) I'm sorry for laughing, but he puts that so well. Isn't that true? Even the barbaric Romans would have had a hard time crucifying Mr. Rogers. But as we dive deeper into Matthew's Gospel account, we'll see just that. There is a much more multifaceted, complex, rich, real, majestic, living Jesus than is usually portrayed in our anemic post-Christian culture. The Jesus that's presented today is often a false Christ. He's not the one that Matthew walked with and talked to and followed with all his heart. The Jesus that gave up his life for the least and the lost, the Jesus who spoke with such authority that people were amazed, the Jesus that performed incredible incredible miracles, listen to this, came to destroy the devil's works and usher in his Father's kingdom. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the evil one in his works and to usher in the kingdom of God. That's the real Jesus. You know that whole, will the real Jesus stand? Please stand up. Well, he did. And we're going to see. So we're going to see. We have a question to ask ourselves and we have a question to ask those we lovingly present the gospel to. Will we reject his claims or submit to his reign? That's what we're going to see in this text. Jesus is going to confront the Pharisees and the crowd and everybody that can hear him at that time. Are they going to reject his claims or are they going to submit to his reign? That song we sang earlier, you know, there's a real treasure for those who bow down now willingly. So let's take a look at there's two, only two points out of this long text I want to bring out. I told you I'll try to be succinct. And the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus serves notice to the society of demons. He serves notice. In other words, he's going to give them their slip to get out. The second thing we're going to see is Jesus serves notice to the society of men. And he gives them a choice to make. A very serious choice. So let's take a look at the first one. Jesus serves notice to the society of demons. And uh, we're going to read just the the first few verses to get us started here. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. 
Now, as we read this, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to say the mention of demonic possession may sound a little bit foreign to our modern American ears. Um, especially, we, we live in a country where the devil has been around for quite a long time, and he knows he has to be more subtle. So his wiles are a lot more subtle, they're a lot more tricky. But we have to also see, is even though it may not be as common in our world, at least in, as, as it was when we read the Gospels, it's true, listen to this, this is important to see, it's true of all the miracles, right? We don't, we don't live in a day that it's like when Jesus walked the earth and left and right, miracles are happening, crowds are coming to Jesus and they're literally being healed. Now listen, this makes complete sense. After thousands, at least thousands and thousands of years, we can argue about the earth, but it was at least thousands of years, finally God's promise was coming to fruition and God came in human flesh and he landed on this earth. You would expect that spiritual warfare would get to a high pitch. You would expect that when Jesus came up against demons who had man under bondage for so long that they would cry out and say things like, have you come to torture us? What? before the appointed time. In other words, Jesus came, God in the flesh, and of course there was a height of spiritual warfare. And so yes, demons were were showing their hand everywhere. God was showing who He was by doing all kinds of miracles. Now, that is not to say miracles don't happen today, nor is it to say that people, there there isn't demon possession today, because I believe with my whole heart there is. But it is to say that it definitely was a lot clearer and a lot more active when the Son of God walked the earth to serve notice. That's precisely what the New Testament teaches. 1 John 3, 8, we read it earlier. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, just to give you one other cross-reference. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So in the passage before us in Matthew 12, it's no wonder that when those whose personalities were being dominated by the devil, when they're brought to Jesus, they find sweet release and freedom from the bondage of the devil. It's no wonder. The Son of God has come. Now, of course, He came to inaugurate the kingdom's coming. Not to consummate it, but to to say, to serve notice, it has come. It's the beginning of the end, which is awesome. It's interesting in the text is that Matthew only needs one sentence to describe the healing of the man possessed by the demon. Let's read it one more time because it's so short. Verse 22. This is it. This is one line. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. That was that. (laughs) No pomp, no circumstance, no no fireworks, nothing. Jesus, see ya. And it was so powerful because he just points out very simply so that the man could now talk and he could now see. So that means the people in the crowd, you have to understand, at least some of them knew this man. They knew how long he had been uh, blind and not able to speak. And to see him just with a touch or with with a voice, whatever, to see that he was healed so quickly, it was interesting. The text says this, they were amazed 
And of course, the obvious conclusion, even for the untaught masses, lay people just walking around, the obvious conclusion is, hey, wait a minute. You think this could be the one? (laughs) You think maybe this is David's son? Now in the Bible, David's son refers to, it's a messianic title. In other words, the Bible said another one from David's line would come. He would be on the throne. It would be David's son. They were expecting the son of David. And that, that's why they refer to Jesus here, or if possibly. As, so now their minds are open up to the possibility that this could be the one. Now, you have to wonder, why were they just thinking possibly? I'll tell you why. Because, of course, Jewish folk were expecting the, the son of David to come the way David came in majesty and in power and in glory. And so it was kind of contradictory to them. And that's, so they were kind of scratching their heads, as it were, like maybe, you know, even though he's humble, even though, you know, look at him, there's nothing special. And even though, you know, he's meek and mild, maybe this is the one after all. Because here's the, here's the obvious conclusion. Who else can instantaneously give somebody sight back and, and allow them to speak for the first time in however long? Maybe ever. And it's obvious that, that even some in the crowd recognized that this was not a normal situation of healing, but that he was demon-possessed. So now here's the interesting thing. Jesus there is serving notice to the, the sinister world of demons that their time is short. The crowd is excited. They think this could be the one. But then what do the Pharisees say? Because here's the interesting thing. The Pharisees couldn't deny what everybody was seeing with their own eyes. Something supernatural happened. So what do they say in order to, because it just betrays their heart attitude toward Jesus? They say it's by the prince of demons he's doing this. In other words, yeah, there's spiritual power going on, but it's from below. It's not from above. In other words, they were proposing that Jesus was using the devil's power to free this man from the power of the devil. You hear how ridiculous that is? Using the devil's power to free the person from the power of the devil. So now just as Jesus served notice to the society of demons that their time was short by freeing this man from demon possession, now Jesus turns to the society of men, now listen, this is important, to warn them of their grim end unless they turn from their wicked ways in opposition to him. That's what he's going to do here. That's the second thing I want to point out. I told you I'd be as succinct as possible. Jesus serves notice to the society of men. Now, first he addresses the absurdity of their interpretation of his miracle. Look at verses 25 to 26. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Quick side note, I have to point this out. Notice something interesting in this text. Again, we could skip over it. Jesus knew their thoughts. We're not talking about a good teacher. We're not talking about just a miracle doer or a a do-gooder. There's no one who knows the thoughts of men except for God himself. So Matthew is saying something about Jesus here to us for us to consider. He knew himself their thoughts. Jesus, I mean, Matthew was clearly pointing out the divinity of Christ. And so he gives two quick arguments. I'm only going to summarize them quickly for us uh, against that uh, evil consideration. 
that he casts out demons by the prince of demons. The first one is this. Every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. The idea of Satan driving out himself, Jesus is saying, is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And then, I mean, it just, it, it's the, the argument, it just stands by itself. Obviously, there's no way that Satan's kingdom could stand if he behaved in that way. But secondly, and this is interesting too, he says, if I drive out demons by the prince of demons, then by whom do your fellow Jews drive them out? In other words, you're condemning yourselves. Because then you'll have to conclude they're doing the same thing. And then that would put them what? In the league with Satan. So their argument proves too much in that sense. That's what Jesus is saying. But then Jesus leads them to the correct conclusion. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's the point. The point is, in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God had come into this dark, wicked, broken world. It has been inaugurated. The Pharisees are confronted with a clear demonstration of the power of God. And they can't deny it's a supernatural miracle, but they hate Jesus so much, they're so filled with spiritual pride and self-righteousness that they say it has to be an evil power. And here's something that you really, we could almost miss, it's so subtle in the text. Notice how heinous their behavior is. Just when the crowd starts considering the claims of Jesus for the good of their own souls, they're they're, they're interested, they're thinking this could be Jesus, I mean this could be the Messiah, it's then that the Pharisees jump in and claim that he's doing this by the power devil. In other words, they're derailing the evangelistic work, as it were, of our Lord. And we need to see how serious that is. It's a very serious thing. So not only were they refusing to enter the kingdom of God, but they were a hindrance to those who were considering it. Do you see that? So not only were they willingly refusing to receive Jesus and acknowledge who he was, but they were putting up a stumbling block for the people. So now that helps to explain Jesus' severe response to them in verse 29 and following. I'll summarize it. He basically says this, I tied up the strong man and I plundered his possessions. Okay, Jesus is saying you have to tie, them, tie up the, the strong man before you can get plunder his possessions. And what Jesus is saying is I have bound Satan. And there's a verse, again, I want to summarize, but there's a verse in Revelation that talks about Satan being bound for a season. And it, so that he may no longer deceive the nations. That's the point of that text. And when Jesus comes, he binds Satan so now the gospel can get out to all the nations. They're no longer in darkness, darkness like they used to be in the Old Covenant. Remember, it was just the Jews that had the light. Well, now Jesus has come. He has bound the strong man and he is spoiling his kingdom. The, the good news is going, as much as we see the unrest in the world, we do see the gospel is advancing in all places. It is spreading. We are no longer in the darkness, us Gentiles, like we used to be. And Jesus says, I tied him, and now I'm plundering his possessions. I am freeing those who have been under bondage to him and bringing them to myself. And then he says this interesting thing, that those who aren't with me are against me. And he who doesn't gather with me scatters. 
So he's saying this, what I have done has demonstrated my power against the devil. It's demonstrated I've come from God. And the fact that you are rejecting me is showing whose side you're on. Because they claim to be sons of God. They claim to be the leaders of the people. They claim to be religious. And he's saying, you're either with me or you're against me. And if you're against me, it's interesting. The thing that you claimed about me is what? True of you. And let me serve you notice. And this becomes one of the most scariest passages in the New Testament. He's saying, let me serve notice right now. You are skating on thin ice. Do you ever hear that expression? <laughs> You're getting dangerously close to crossing the point of no return. That's chilling. You should have goosebumps when you think of that. Now, why? Why were they on the, almost on the precipice of the point of no return? Because they were on the road to committing what Jesus basically calls the unforgivable sin. It's a heavy passage, isn't it? You don't see that that verse quoted on Facebook as like a nice little snippet to invite people to your church, do you? (laughs) Because I see like by the Facebook people are, this is what I'm preaching on tomorrow. You know, it's always like a nice, exciting, you know, he was pierced for our tears. You know, (laughs) if I was going to put this one, we'd be smaller than we are now maybe. I don't know. No, but so, but it is, it's powerful. He makes it clear that speaking a word against himself can be forgiven. But speaking against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And he says this, this is a powerful thing, either in this age or the age to come. Wow. He's saying even in the life of the world to come, this, if you committed this particular sin, there is no forgiveness. Now, I would have to say, we would probably want to know what it is to commit Blasphemy against the Spirit. Um, because I know I've seen in my own Christian life a lot of times when I've, uh, you've had Christians with tender consciences, I would hope that we would all have tender consciences, but especially those whose conscience are very tender, they have come to me and said, I think I've committed this sin, you know, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And it's, uh, praise the Lord, it's usually nothing even close to this. Um, I'm thankful that they're convicted of their sins, but um, it's good for us so that we would understand what this is, so that we are not um, overly, you know, we're not overly sorrowful about it. So this, this is what we're going to see. This is what I believe it is, and then I'll try to explain it. It's when the Holy Spirit makes the truth abundantly clear about Jesus, and one deliberately, willfully, and repeatedly n- not only rejects his clear witness to Christ, but also encourages others. To do the same. Think about it. The Pharisees witnessed Jesus' holy and righteous works, and when they were cornered by the truth, they, they had no there was no other argument they could they could come up with. They said that the power behind Jesus is a wicked one. That was their last argument. Listen, in case that wasn't clear, Howard Voss, I figure I'll quote somebody in case I, I kind of muddied it. This is what he says. This blasphemy consists in adamantly setting oneself against Christ and attributing to satanic power that which he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hear that? Here's the point. When the Holy Spirit clearly gives witness to Christ, and there is no out, and then you willfully blaspheme. And what Jesus is saying there is, he, he didn't say you've committed that sin. He says 
you're almost there. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet, God, through the prophet, places a curse upon people who call good evil and evil good. You remember that? It's in uh, Isaiah, where is Isaiah 5.20, where he says, Woe to you who call evil good and good evil. You know, in case you didn't know, when the Bible says, Woe to you, that's, that's like really bad. So how much more are you on dangerous ground when you call the holiest of all, the, the, most, the person who is the most good, evil? And you call evil, think about it, putting him to death, a good thing, right? They were praising each other for crucifying our Lord. But listen, here's a warning that's even in the Old Testament, and it's only made stronger in the light of the full sun, in the light of the gospel being clear in our, in our day. I don't know if you know this proverb. It's 29.1, and it says this, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And we're going to see throughout the gospel how many rebukes Jesus gives the Pharisees, how many chances, as it were, he gives them to get off that road before they cross that one line of no return. And we're thankful that in the book of Acts, many Pharisees believe. So we see they didn't cross that line as much as they had trouble before. But unfortunately, we know there are many that didn't repent. So in serving notice to the demonic world that their grip on mankind is coming to an end, Jesus also serves notice to the world of men and calls them to choose their sides wisely. And then he ends this section in a very interesting way. I'm almost done here. In verse 25, we're reminded, right, that Jesus alone knows the thoughts of men, right? It says he knew their hearts. But now listen to this. But here he says that even though we don't know the, the hearts of men, the thoughts of men, man, a man's words often give away the secrets of their heart. Okay, so even though we don't, I can't know what you're thinking, you don't know what I'm thinking, eventually, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And he's going to talk about how you recognize a tree by what? It's fruit. Sometimes, you know, we try to do it by leaves. Those of us who have a good eye for fruit trees, are always, you know, I think that might be a pear tree. Or, hey, I could tell by leaf, that's probably a peach tree. But there's no disguise in it when there's these beautiful peaches hanging from it. Then I know this is not an apple tree. It's a peach tree. And so men can be recognized not only by their actions, as he says otherwhere, other places, but here by the words that come out of their mouth. And Jesus turns the tables on his accusers. This is the real Jesus now. And he says, in effect, you are the brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? Now, we have to see this. Those of us who are going to continue to go through Matthew's gospel, his language to the Pharisees will become increasingly stronger. But I want to tell you why. Because believe it or not, Jesus loves them. Believe it or not, 
He's looking out for the good of their souls. Sometimes we go so far, we go so deep that it's going to take a shock to bring us out of our sin. And I don't know about you, but if someone called me, us, me a part of a brood of vipers, that means little snakes. You're a bunch of little snakes. That should wake you up a little bit. The one who had such compassion on this man and freed him from the devil. Right? So even if when you were with the crowd, you're like, you know, too prideful to admit it, Jesus, in, in a sense, in his human nature, is hoping one of them will go home, a couple of them will go home and think about this. Amen? Before they take the next steps, because some of them are going to take the steps as we're going to see, to bring him to the cross. And then he, he closes with these chilling words. And then we're going to close with this. But I tell you the truth, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. So how do you end this message on an encouraging note? And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have to think hard about it. I didn't have to look and pray and think about it because I think the, the silver lining amidst the clouds here is very clear. Jesus says something that you might miss and I'm thankful he showed it to me and I didn't miss it. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. And you're looking at me, so what's the relevance? The relevance is this. God is in the business of recreation. God is in the business by His grace to make us new in Christ Jesus. And the only hope the Pharisees had, the only hope the crowd has, is that God in His sovereign grace, Jesus in His mercy, would open our eyes, give us new life, and make the tree good. That's good news. That's good news for the humble because the humble recognize their need. It's good news for us we're all messed up because we know there's hope in Jesus. It's not too late for us. It's even good news for those who have been fighting Him up to this point because it's a day of grace and they haven't yet stepped over that point of no return. But brothers and sisters, this, this, this is the real Jesus. He's not a hippie Jesus. He's not a love at all costs, with no holiness, Jesus. He's the real deal. And only He is worthy of our worship. And only He can deliver us from the work of the devil, who still, He doesn't possess Christians, but He oppresses us with so many wiles, with depression, with doubt. Millions of ways He has. But the awesome thing is Jesus has His number, Jesus has bound him in the sense that he can only go so far. And someday, Jesus will cast him into the lake of fire. And he will deliver all who have received him with open arms, no matter how humble, no matter how weak, no matter how imperfect. Let's pray to him. We pray to you, the Prince of Peace. And we acknowledge, Jesus, you are the one who was to come. There is no one else. And that you are in the midst right now of bringing men, women, and children to repentance and faith and delivering them from the bondage of Satan and the fear of death. We believe with all our hearts that what Matthew said happened, happened. And we rejoice that we are in your family by your grace alone. 
and we rejoice that we have a little part to play, Lord Jesus, in testifying to your kingdom's coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we don't only pray for the little work here that we trust you for to bring forward. But Father, we pray for our individual lives, Lord, that you would destroy the strongholds of Satan in our lives. The areas that we have kept for ourselves and refuse to let you, the great physician, uh, cut out the cancer, as it were. Forgive us, O Lord. Show us the areas of our lives individually where we need to lay them before your altar, as it were, and put to death by the whole power of the Holy Spirit, the deeds of the flesh. Thank you for your victory in the cross for defeating Satan. And we pray that even amidst the sorrow of this world, the disappointment of this world, we, world, we would walk in your victory. We pray it in Jesus' name, your name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.